place. So that is the place where he was talking about salt and saltiness. He left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so Jesus asked the question that we're going to kind of dissect a little bit today. What did Moses command you? And so the Pharisees, their aim is to test Jesus. They are looking for a way to condemn him. They have a plot going on behind the scenes because they, wanna, they want to kill Jesus because he has become that popular. He's become that much of a disruption to what is happening in Israel that they, they felt that he must go. And so what I'm guessing they're hoping here is they're hoping to offend uh, some of his followers and have him lose some of, some of his uh, authority. There were, at the time, two doctrines about divorce. Okay? And they were both based on the passage in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses wrote. Uh, and you can go and you can read the whole thing. It's in verse 24. It's, it's verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to read just a little, a little snippet of it. And it says, A woman who becomes displeasing to him, meaning her husband, because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. So it's talking about the conditions. A man can find something indecent about his wife, and he can write her a certificate of, of divorce. So the first view on, on marriage and divorce that was popular at the time and, and taught in the synagogues was that this something indecent about the wife refers to if you find out something about her before you were married. If you find out something about her before you were married, then you can go ahead and you can, you can let her go. The second view was a little bit more of a, a, a liberal, all-encompassing view, and it said if you find anything displeasing. And so the way this began to be read is if she burnt your dinner in the, or breakfast, it would be in the morning. She burnt your breakfast. If you didn't like it, you could write her a certificate of, of divorce. The commonality here, though, is that both of these views made the women the scapegoat. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus, and, th and they know that there's this big crowd. And if we can get Jesus to align with one of these views, then we know that half the dudes, one way or the other, are going to be offended. Not to mention all the women that are in the crowd as well that are going to now lose trust for Jesus. And maybe he doesn't see me. Maybe he's, he's not uh, uh, our Messiah. There wasn't a view here that either of these views on divorce and, and treatment of women and wives was flawed. No one asked Jesus, are these wise things to do or holy or honorable? Their, their whole concern was, is it lawful? Because the Pharisees measured themselves with the law. Right? Are we upholding the law? Are we righteous? Because they viewed themselves as righteous. So where I want to take this message is not not necessarily to marriage and divorce, but to a different idea. Because I think the conversation, while the, the conversation is about marriage here, the root is about power. And about how we as followers of God, how we create, or relate, or interact with, with power and systems of power and the power that we have. Because in that day and age, women were, were mostly without standing in the culture. And I'm not an anthropologist. I'm not going to tell you the how and the why that came to be and whether that was a, a good thing as far as survival is concerned or a bad thing. We're just going to accept that it, it is what it is. 
But Jesus is now looking at the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the shepherds of the people of Israel, the, the people that care about everybody that, that God cares about. And they're, what the Pharisees are arguing about is how much of the law can we take advantage of and still be righteous? Right, what's that line that we can go up to where on one side of the line we're good and on the other side of the line that we are bad and, and they want to know? And again, this would have perked up the ears of every woman in the crowd because Jesus was different. Jesus taught as, as somebody with, with authority. We're told he didn't teach like the, the teachers of the law because his authority came from, from a different place. And so we're going to look at this theme of power, and I hope that we get the, the opportunity to relate it to, to our own lives and our own reality as we follow Jesus. Because we all have power in some sphere. Could be you have power in some sphere of the church or in your family or in the workplace or in a group of friends or somewhere you have some, some element of, of power and influence and, and way to change people's realities. And so, how do we overlook those who are powerless? Right? The Pharisees have clearly overlooked wives and women. Okay? They, weren't, they weren't meaningful. We want to know what are men allowed to do. And so, Jesus, because he knows that the Pharisees are, are basing what they are and who they are and how they're following God on Moses, he is going to, he asked this question, what did Moses command you? In, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, to, to the Pharisees. It says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So the frustration that Jesus has when he is looking at the teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees is they claim to know so much about what Moses wrote and about the coming Messiah, but they have completely missed him. They, they don't recognize him. They don't see him because they are so consumed with their power. They had forgotten that the law was given to, to reflect our inadequacy. The law was given so that we would, we would know that we were in need of, uh, of a compassionate God to, to, to help us through. But instead, because of, of their own brokenness, the law was being used to control others. The law was being used to heap burdens on people that the, that the teachers of the law themselves would not, would not carry or lift a finger to, to help. A disciple of Jesus doesn't look for loopholes for behavior. Amen. The, the, the Pharisees were looking for a loophole. I, I, I want to know at what point can, am I allowed to do this thing that, that other place in the, in the law we are told not to do. And so they, they search scripture for a justification for fallen nature. And we do this same thing. Right? This, is, this is very clear in us in our, in our church culture. We look in the scriptures, we, are, we search really hard for something Jesus said or something he didn't say. Or do I have to obey the law or do we not obey the law? Because we are looking for a justification for something we're already carrying into our, our relationship with Jesus. As a disciple of Christ, we are not to have an attitude of how far can I go. That is wielding power in a bad way. So what did Moses command? And so how I want us to apply this question as followers of Jesus now is how you use God's word reveals your heart. 
Are you using God's word to justify yourself and who you are? Are you using God's word to, to manipulate others? Or are you surrendered? So we're going to continue. Verse 4 and 5. Jesus go, uh, excuse me. They said, these are the Pharisees responding to Jesus. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. So what is a hard heart? A hard heart is the heart that's unresponsive to God. The, the hard heart is the heart that is only thinking about themselves and, 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 and how things impact, impact me if I have a hard heart. The, the hard heart looks at other people not with, as, as having dignity or, or valuing their humanity. The hard heart looks at them as things to be manipulated and used to get what, what is needed. And so Jesus is saying, you had a hard heart. You were not seeing women for who they are, the creation of God. So Moses had to, had to write this doesn't take a whole lot of power for your heart to get hard. Right? If you've ever been to an HOA, a homeowners association meeting, anyone ever been to one of those? If you've ever been to one of those, you know that people can grasp onto just a little bit of power, right? And make it a really, really big deal. Right? Everybody has their kingdom. Closer to home, because we don't want to get too righteous here. If you've ever been to a church that has a business meeting, Anthony, do you guys have business meetings here? Okay. If you've ever been to a church that has a business meeting, you know that people can grasp onto a little bit of power. I was once in a business meeting for a church where they were picking out carpet color. And we left the business meeting because purple was not a good color and a group of people were really latching onto that. Okay? So it doesn't take much power to create a hard heart, to have people look away from God, to have people value other things more than, than who Jesus is in their life. And so pursuing power... It hardens our hearts. It pulls you farther away from God. It causes you to see people as valueless. It causes you to have a feeling of self-sufficiently as the, as the, Pharisees, as the Pharisees did. And, and something that I, I'd like us to remember as we read through the Bible, the Bible isn't always a picture of the way, the way everything God intended it to be. Right? There is lots of stuff that is really weird because of the brokenness of man in the Bible. It's not a picture of the way God intended it to be. There's a lot of guys that have a lot of wives in the Bible, okay? but that was not the way that God intended to be. There's a lot of violence and wickedness in the Bible. It's not the way that God intended it to be. The Bible is written so that we would, we, it's the story of our brokenness and how we run away from God. And God's compassionate pursuit of mankind. Amen. His, 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 his trying to win us back at all costs. And we'll see that as we get toward the end. It did cost God everything to, to win us back. And so the point Jesus is making here, that with your hearts were hard, that's why Moses had to, had to put that into Deuteronomy, is because... God had Moses do that as a, as a provision to protect the powerless. God put that in as a provision to prevent women, or to, to, to protect women from just casually being discarded as if they were a piece of property. It, it was an, a response to an abuse of power by some men. So this certificate that, that Jesus is referring to that allowed women to remarry. It gave them a way to continue to be cared for uh, in the culture. So this tells us a little something about God. 
this, this little thing in Deuteronomy that Jesus refers back to, it tells us that true power protects the powerless. True power doesn't take advantage of those who have none. True power protects. And the good news for us is that God notices those who have no power. Right? If you've ever read uh, in Matthew chapter 5, it's a very famous passage called the Beatitudes. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are, are persecuted. And you might wonder, why, why, uh, why, are, they, why are they blessed? Are, th are those people more worthy? Is there some virtue in those things? And, and the answer is no. People in those situations are blessed because they have a God who notices them. Amen. So you can know when you are mourning and, and the rest of the world is moving on, because that's what the world does, that, that you follow a God that notices. You follow a God that, that wept on, on behalf of others when they were experiencing uh, a trauma in their life. God sees you when the, the powers of the world discard you. And this is how disciples of Jesus are supposed to respond to the power systems of the world. We're supposed to notice those who are powerless. We're, we're, we're to protect them. We're not supposed to dismiss them. We're not to be among those that tread on those that have no power on their own behalf. And so Jesus continues on in verse 6. He says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the, the two will, will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus does them one better. Because he knew that they were going to go back just to the Deuteronomy passage that suited their, their, their power structure and their belief. And he says, but you're forgetting what Moses originally wrote. And we go all the way back to, to the very beginning. And he takes them to the father's intent for this marriage relationship. And while, while this is not a talk uh, on marriage, what, what Je Jesus does point to the place that provides a, a, a picture of what it is intended to be. And, and the point here is that a follower of Jesus cannot pick and choose what fits your life. A disciple is open to the full counsel of God. You can't just go and pick out the things that already suit you. You have to be open. You have to have awareness of everything. And when you meet resistance, that means you're on to something. That's part of the pride that we are trying to overcome. Jesus' goal as us as disciples, he wants to disrupt everything about our daily life how we used to interact with, with power systems, how we used to interact with our relationships. And he wants all things, all things to be made new. I think sometimes we suffer from wanting to just add a sprinkle or two of Jesus to our lives so that we get some better results. Right? We want things to work out. So I want to stay the same Scott that I already was. I just want things to work out a little better. So sprinkle a little, little Jesus on that. But what Jesus wants is for us to be transformed. We're to be renewed. So we're supposed to be a new creation, not just a better version of the old creation. And so Jesus points to what Moses wrote, wrote that, that in marriage, there, we're supposed to be one flesh. And for the Pharisees here, 
the point is going to be that there's not supposed to be a power dynamic in marriage. It's not supposed to be one spouse lording over the other spouse. One flesh means that each spouse exists to uphold the other, to encourage the other, to seek the best for, for the other. And so in the body of Christ, if, we are, if we're disciples and we're going to, we're going to shed off the, the world's system of power and what it says is right and wrong and, and how we're supposed to interact and there's supposed to be someone uh, better than somebody else, it means that we need to, to focus on loving one another and encouraging one another, building up one another. Amen. We need to remember that Paul wrote, we're all part of one body. And even though somebody might be a foot and somebody might be an eye, we can't think that that makes somebody more valuable than, than the other. We are supposed to abandon these, these ideas uh, of power. And so we're going to continue in Mark chapter 10 because now after Jesus has talked to the Pharisees and he's pointed out their short-sightedness in their thinking and how that they weren't thinking of both members uh, 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 of a marriage— now he goes back and he talks to the disciples one-on-one. -on -one. And in verse 10 he says, When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now you, you might miss something here that is, is truly remarkable for, for when this was written. The disciples, as they were listening to Jesus, would have fully expected the first sentence. They would have fully expected Jesus to say when a man divorces his wife that he commits adultery against her. But now Jesus also says women can also misuse the power dynamic in a relationship. Women can ask for divorce. Even though they didn't do it very often then, they could. They can misuse the power dynamic. This is not limited to just dudes. Okay, we all share a broken nature. We all can misuse our power as we are, are following Jesus. So men can misuse their power and they can seek a divorce and go off for whatever reason. Women can misuse their power and do the same thing. And the disciples would have been like, wait, what? Women can what? They, they, they have the ability of these things? Jesus is, is affirming women here. He's lifting them up to the same, as, to the same status as men. So, notice Jesus, Jesus places the sin in the lap of the one that has, that has the power. And I'm sure enough of us are married, have been married, have seen people married, to know that, that, that divorce comes from misusing power. Right? Where, does, where does physical abuse in marriage come from? Misusing power. Where does verbal and emotional abuse, where does that come from? Where does one spouse withholding from another to manipulate them and get what they want? It comes from misusing power. Where does, when one spouse just wants to have conquest after conquest, that is misusing power. One spouse has power, one spouse is looking for power, and that's the cause of so much of marital conflict and, and tension and ultimately divorce. And so the bigger picture question that, that I have for all of us as disciples of Jesus is, are you aware of your temptation to power? Uh, do you align yourself with power? Do you align yourself with the, 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 the power of personality, uh, political power? Uh, are, you, are you aligned with financial power? Like, how do you relate? How do you respond to power? Because you can't overcome these things if you're not aware of what your temptation is. 
do you misuse power as a parent? Because the whole thing you want is your kids to be under control. Do you misuse your power as a boss or an employee? Remember, I mentioned, mentioned last week and the week before that our life in Christ is to be spent doing the things we do as if Jesus were doing them. And how would Jesus wield power in the situation that you're in? Are you somebody that preys on another's insecurity? Praise on their anxiety, their worry, as a way to, to maybe get more out of them. And maybe you've convinced yourself that this is for the best for them. Right? Because we, we can do that to her. We can talk ourselves into bad things are really good things when they're not. Jesus gave up his power on our behalf. Jesus left heaven, came, walked on this planet for our, for our redemption. Jesus didn't walk around with an entitlement mentality, which a lot of times we do, right? I'm in Christ. I shouldn't suffer. Nothing bad should happen to me. I, and, and the way I'm going to make sure nothing bad happens to me is I'm going to align with, with, with the power structure. <laughs> Jesus abandoned all of that. And now he gives us a picture. You may have wondered when, when the, this passage of verses which was originally read, we went right from marriage and now we're talking about children. These two stories are related because they talk about the two most powerless classes of people in that culture. And so, continuing on, verse 13, finishing out the, this passage. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Say, remember, the, all of these essential questions, the point is that Jesus is preparing the disciples for when he's not going to be with them anymore. He is trying to clear up their vision, their sight, for who he is and what it means to be a disciple in a fallen and broken world. And here you see the disciples did not get it. Right? Jesus had just taught them and just told them about how to treat the powerless in a relationship. And now children are coming to them. And the disciples are indignant. Children have no meaning. They, they, can't, they can't boost us onto the success politically that we're hoping for. Get the children away. It's just a waste of time. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And I, just, I think the, the most interesting part of that is when Jesus says, to receive the kingdom of God like a little child. What, what does that mean for us? But children, children are not self-protecting by their nature until they learn that they have to be by whatever life's experience that, that they're thrown into. Children don't seek fulfillment at, at other people's expense until they realize that that has benefits to them. Children, children were, were totally powerless. So Jesus has this whole class of people that, that have nothing to offer, nothing to benefit him. He would have been fully justified to just look the other way. And he's saying, no, this, this is exactly how you're supposed to, to come to the kingdom of heaven. And so for us, a disciple fully surrenders to Jesus. A, a disciple surrenders his power or her power to Jesus a disciple does not strive to get more power. See, true power, the kind of power that protects the powerless, as I mentioned at the beginning, that comes from the Father. 
That's, that's on the Father's heart. That's why he wrote the provision through Moses in, in Deuteronomy. That's why he wrote the Beatitudes. True power protects the powerless. And so Jesus, he had detached himself from the power systems. Right? As much as we want to make him into it, Jesus, Jesus didn't align himself with the religious powers. They're trying to kill him. Jesus didn't align, align himself with the political power. They ended up killing him. Jesus, Jesus didn't align himself with economic power. I mean, he died without any money. Jesus didn't align himself with, with the, the power of popularity because he ran from the crowds when they were trying to force him to be king. He, he detached himself from all of that. But for some reason, we as his followers try to make inroads in those areas. Another, uh, another verse that, that we read last week, and I'm going to repeat it here in just a minute. Well, what does this mean as his follower? What does it mean to, to, to give up power? What, what does it mean to, to find a different way uh, to live? And so just going to repeat Mark chapter 9. This is verse 35. So this is going back uh, just a little bit. And so sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, this here launched Jesus into the salt and the saltiness that we talked about last week and the what has Moses taught, taught you in the, this little passage about children. All of that is the fruit of this verse right here. Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. See, being a disciple is not about finding first place in life. Being a disciple is intentionally being last in line so that you can serve others, so you can see the needs, so you can find them, so that you can guide other people into, into the kingdom. Because that is what, what it is all about. True power is found in serving. That's how we demonstrate the love of Christ to, to a world that does not understand it. So, the question I'm going to leave you with after this three weeks is, in your life in Christ, are you, are you pursuing power? Or are you pursuing God?